You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Today, I'm also excited to introduce you to someone that you likely already know. In just a moment, you're going to be hearing from Pastor Alvin Brown. Yeah, he's our pastor of guest experience here, as well as our IT director. But really, he's just amazing. He and his wife, Mallory, have been here at Mosaic for more than a decade. They've got three beautiful children. And today, I'm excited to, for you to hear him continue on in our next message in our series called How to Follow Jesus Christ. So with that, would you please give a warm welcome for our dear friend, such a great servant and leader here in this church, Pastor Alvin Brown. Well, here we are. Hi there. And welcome if this is your first time in the room with us or if you're joining us online. So thanks. We're so glad that you're here as we continue in week four of the How to Follow Jesus Christ series. So as Pastor Morgan stated, I'm Alvin Brown. And so I'm excited to be here with you today. And so first and foremost, let me thank God and also our elder team. Because again, what a privilege and honor it is to stand here this day, this hour with you to be called upon to share and minister God's holy word. So today we will continue to explore how to follow Jesus Christ through the lens of the life of Simon Peter, one of the very first followers of Jesus. So I invite you to stand with me. As we will read today's scripture reading from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. So again, let's stand and honor God's word as I read. The scripture will be on the screen there in front of you. And today's scripture reads, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whosoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done truly i tell you some are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom amen to the reading of god's word and you may be seated now for those of you that are note takers uh today's title of today's message is good discipleship good discipleship 
Now, I know, I know right away, I know I said that word, discipleship. And you were either like, what? Or maybe some of you were like, "Uh uh-oh. And then I saw like right back in this section, somebody was like, whoa. Why is that? Why is that? Well, that's either because either we are unfamiliar with it or maybe we're just too familiar with it. Because, you know, that word discipleship, see, it can mean a lot of different things depending upon your background. So let us question, what is discipleship? And furthermore, what is good discipleship? Well, when I think of good discipleship, personally, I think it looks a lot like me and my dad. As a little guy, I guess not too much little than what I am now, um, I eagerly awaited to follow my dad's every move. See, it didn't matter to me if he was running an errand, going to play dominoes, going to church, or simply outside. There were two things that were constant. Number one was me yelling, Daddy, can I go with you? And the other was that I never had any shoes on. And if I did, then they were every little boy's staple piece of footwear. Rain boots or cowboy boots, and they were on the wrong feet. So this aggravated my dad to no end and as he was inconvenienced by having to wait on his baby boy and then having to stop and take time to correct the inadvertent oversight of my boots pointing as far as the east is from the west. And so now fast forward some 35 years, a wife, three kids later, and how I follow my dad's every move, so did my oldest when he was my age. He would often yell, Daddy, can I go with ya? And of course, you know the rest of this story. History often repeats itself, or at least rhymes. So much so that one Sunday morning, y'all, he arrived here on site and he managed to locate me as he always does. And y'all, let me tell you, let me tell you, he was looking GQ from head to look at those toes. Look at those toes. Now we laugh, oh yeah, we laugh at this somewhat whimsical story and experience that likely everyone in this room and you online too has lived through at some point. And just like my father, his grandfather patiently endured a few years of ensuring my shoes were on the right feet, so I was able to pay it forward and do the very same thing for him. And this too will likely be his story decades from now. And so, of course, I know you're thinking, you're saying, Pastor Alvin, what in the world? Why did you tell us this story? I mean, after all, what's the big deal with the child wearing the shoes on the wrong feet? And more importantly, what does this have to do with good discipleship and how to follow Jesus? Well, as for good discipleship and how to follow Jesus, we'll get there in a few moments. So just sit tight. But as for wearing shoes on the wrong feet, a podiatrist, also known as a foot doctor or a foot specialist, will tell you that there are consequences to wearing shoes on the wrong feet or shoes that do not fit correctly. But a quick word of caution and wisdom, do not nudge your wife, men. Don't do it. Don't nudge them. Don't nudge your girlfriend. Don't nudge anybody right now. Just look forward, eyes forward, and we'll get through this together. I promise you. I promise you. But seriously, listen, wearing ill-fitting shoes may result in something called neuropathy. 
See, neuropathy is the weakness, numbness, and pain from nerve damage. Think pins and needle sensation, usually in the hands and in the feet. This ailment, again, is quite painful, and it also may cause falls, reduce mobility and coordination, and most alarming, sometimes irreversible. In addition, wearing ill-fitting shoes often leads to foot deformities such as hammer toes, corns, and calluses. And let's be honest, y'all. Nobody wants to be known as Hammer Toe Harold, Corny Chris, or Calloused Callie. Nah, nobody wants to be known as those. See, I share that to say this. Children often have no concept or expectation of what shoes are supposed to fit and feel like or that there is even a correct or healthy and safe way to wear shoes. See, it's only when someone, likely a parent or a teacher, is gracious enough to pull us aside and actively demonstrate to us the correct wearing of shoes, then and only then are we able to grasp and learn the actual look and feel of a good fit or the correctness of fit in wearing shoes. I mean, sure, it's cute to see a two, three, four or five-year-old with their little itty-bitty feet and tiny shoes on the wrong feet. But how about a 30, 40, 50-year-old in sound mind, body, and spirit wearing ill-fitting shoes? Come on, y'all. Like, uh, that's not a good look, boo-boo. Uh-uh. So if that's the case, then why would any of us dare to purposely allow our soul, no pun intended, or anyone else, per se, to purposely wear ill-fitting shoes while risking all of eternity with Jesus. Of course, I wouldn't do such a thing. And I know that you wouldn't do such a thing, and we wouldn't do such a thing. And so goes with discipleship. See, good discipleship is like a, well, it's like a pair of well-fitting shoes that both it shapes us and strengthens us in healthy ways as we walk through life following Jesus in the way that he intended for us to follow him. See, good discipleship means we trade in our ill-fitting shoes, those things that we wear that don't fit yet harm us, for well-fitting, freeing, and joy-filled experience of following Jesus. But to do that, though, see, as we are going to see in the, in the life of Simon Peter today, that means that we must exchange our expectation of good for God's definition of good. Because when Simon Peter did that, when he traded his definition of what it meant to follow Jesus for how Jesus actually defined it, well, that changed everything for him. So let's take a look and let's see what happened. So, quickly, to get everyone up to speed, if this is your first time with us in the room or online, for the last three years of Jesus' ministry, the disciples have followed Jesus in and out of boats, across seas, land, rocks, through deserts, droughts, multiple fish fries, uh, parables, healings, and everything in between. See, these men, the disciples, they walked away from it all. Their reputation... Their possessions, varying careers, relationships with friends and families, all to follow Jesus. See, everything they had up till now suffered to journey with Jesus, or so they thought. Now, let's be real. Why would any person on God's green earth make a commitment to give up anything of any value to follow anyone, 
and without anything in return. That's a lot of anythings. Who would do such a thing? I mean, why do men and women get married? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Eyes forward, men. We'll get through this together. As for the disciples and their why, might I submit to you that they likely made a commitment under the guise or the expectation of Jesus establishing his kingdom here on earth by overthrowing Caesar and the entire Roman Empire in Jerusalem. See, the likely hope was that when Jesus finally did come into his kingdom, see, the disciples too they will come into great earthly reward. You know, that's a little bit of that blessing by association. See, now if this, if this was truly their hope or expectation of the disciples who lived and walked closely with Jesus, then what might our expectations of discipleship today be as to why and in how we follow Jesus who we've never seen? To guide us today, We'll explore this question as well as a few more questions using the truth to discern good discipleship. See, to follow Jesus means to obediently embrace and pursue God's will, no matter the reward, no matter the cost. I'm going to say it again. To follow Jesus means to obediently embrace and pursue God's will, no matter the reward, no matter the cost. And so with that in mind, this is where we pick up the story of Jesus, Peter, and his disciples. In Matthew 16, verse 21, where it reads, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and, uh uh-oh, y'all, there's that S word, there's that S word, suffer. Many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, so that he, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, I don't know about you, but as for me, reading that verse, it doesn't take me too long to figure out the things on the scene aren't going the way the disciples thought that they were going to go or supposed to go. And so now, see, what we're seeing, what, we're, what we just read is their definition and their expectation of discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. See, now it's truly being tested. Now, you may say, tested? Why tested? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, because discipleship, see, especially good discipleship rooted in godly discipline, is often tested when things don't go the way we thought that they were going to go. See, it's not hard to be a disciple when we get what we thought we were going to get. Can I get an amen? However, watch the flip side. It's difficult to be a disciple when we thought what was in it for us is no longer there. And so now the disciples, specifically Peter himself, is trying to figure out how did things go so quickly from you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, and getting the keys of the kingdom to heaven to the Messiah must suffer, be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. But let us continue reading in verse 22 and let us allow Peter to share his heart with us and Jesus about how he really feels. So in verse 22, Peter takes Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter, Peter, Peter. I tell you what, man, when he's good, he's good. But when he's bad, 
Y'all, he's really bad. I mean, what is really going on with our man Peter for him to take Jesus aside and rebuke him? I mean, it was just only moments ago that he, fe- he confessed that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was the one that he was willing to follow, right? Well, I'll tell you what's going on with Peter. I put it, matter of fact, I put it just like this. Our man Peter was metaphorically wearing his disciple shoes on the wrong feet, if not wearing any shoes at all. See, Peter's definition of expectation of discipleship saw the king's crown in Jesus's glory, you know, the keys to the kingdom and the anticipated earthly reign, but failed to comprehend the true cost of the king's cross, suffering and death. And just how mutually exclusive both the crown and the cross truly are. And that leads me to every king has a crown and a cross. And the greater the crown, the greater the cross to bear. And just as every king has a crown and a cross, every person of any measurement of accomplishment, including you, including me, has a crown and a cross to bear. Whether in personal, academic, or professional success, church, or marketplace, or even in marriage, parenting, or friendship, every cross is paid for. Every crown is paid for with the cross, excuse me. Now we may not always see a person's cross juxtaposed to their crown, but it's there. Oh yeah, it's there. See, that's why not everybody can be a doctor, a lawyer, an entrepreneur, a pastor, a teacher, an entertainer, or an athlete to say the least. See, the higher a person goes in authority, the greater the cost. Which leads me to, have you personally ever experienced costly Peter moments in response to following Jesus? Think about that. You know, the moments where we've worn ill-fitting shoes and stood on our word and expectation rather than the peaceful-fitting shoes of God's word and his expectation. Or perhaps we expected God to do one thing, yet he allowed something completely unexpected and unfortunate to happen instead. Well, see, as we continue, fortunately for Peter, see, he's in good company and speaking directly with an expert on the matter, Jesus himself, as we'll soon discover in reading verse 23, where Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Hmm. Quite subtle. Yet puzzling. To the unassuming eye is verse 23. I mean, you read it for yourself, or rather, I read it to you. If I were Peter, I'm likely confused right now, to say the least. First, Jesus, just moments ago, you said, I was, I was a rock that you were going to build your church up on. And now here we are, you're saying, I'm Satan, and I'm a stumbling block. Like, what gives? I'm confused. Which one am I? Well, I'll tell you what gives, Peter. Jesus isn't simply having a you are not you when you are hungry Snickers moment. No, that's not what is happening right now. In fact, Jesus is experiencing Peter's rebuking through the lens of Satan tempting him back in Matthew chapter 4. See, Satan tempts Jesus in an attempt to thwart God's plan, hoping that Jesus would sidestep God's plan for the cross's redemption for all of us. But unlike our man Peter, see, Jesus chooses to stand firmly on God's word as his metaphorical shoes of discipleship. 
Jesus obeys and remains under the authority of God's will rather than exchange the Father's love for the lies and the deceptions of a usurped or false authority in that of Satan. And because of this, see, because of this, Jesus clearly charges Peter. And he charges us too, you know, when that Peter spirit finds itself rising up in us because it happens from time to time. He charges to, for us to submit once more to placing our minds, our hearts, and the way that we live. See, he wants us to place these things on God as we follow Jesus rather than give in to the selfish desires and earthly security and glory at the complete loss of our reward in eternity. So, have you ever experienced stumbling block moments where the ill-fitting shoes of family, friends, Power, sex, money have come into conflict with Jesus? How did you respond? Did you deny yourself such deadly window shopping? Or did you opt to painfully wear those ill-fitting shoes in style? And so the question stands, how is it that we live, you and I, and walk out good discipleship, as we follow Jesus in life, death, and, etern- and into eternal life? Well, to answer that question, let's explore Jesus explaining in verses 24 through 26 what it truly means to be a disciple. And then Jesus said to his disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Deep questions. So what's going on here? Like what is Jesus exactly saying? Well, it's unlikely for a person today to die by crucifixion. Now, that depends upon where you're located at and obviously the culture and the climate of the day. But what Jesus is alluding to is that anyone who is willing to follow him must be willing to sacrifice their own self-interest and desires when they conflict with Jesus and his gospel. Again, to follow Jesus means to obediently embrace and pursue God's will, no matter the reward, no matter the cost. Case in point. In my mid-roaring 20s, years of worldly wilderness, I was living for myself, putting down Jesus' cross and following in the way of the world, wearing ill-fitting shoes of pride and lust like a champ. And, And like Peter rebuking Jesus, see, I too thought that I knew better than my parents and my friends when they graciously attempted numerous times to correct my spiritual shoes and walk following Jesus. But see, it didn't take too long for the, you know, the humbling knockout blow here through a series of ill-advised decisions that led me to getting married and then shortly filing for divorce two years and some change into that marriage. Now, about that same time, I was relentlessly being invited to attend a church by a coworker. And this coworker would say to me, he'd say, Brown, you should come to church with me. I think you would really like it. But I'd shrug him off and say something like, look, man, your church ain't ready for me. I'm a brother that claps on the two and four and y'all are clapping on the one and three. 
Nonetheless, nonetheless, though, old Jennings, as I, as I call him, that's my, my, my uh, name of endearment for him, never ceased inviting me no matter how witty or sarcastic my comebacks were. Again, I believed in God and Jesus, but Jesus certainly wasn't at the center of my life. In actuality, I was probably more like a fan or a spectator of Jesus rather than truly a follower of Jesus. But that's just it. Jesus didn't call us to be fans. He called us to be followers, imitators of the life he lived. Now, fast forward almost a year, and I was seriously pursuing my wife, Mallory, back then, girlfriend, in marriage. And so, we both committed to finding a church that we could both grow together. And so, we drafted a list of churches near Mallory's apartment that we would attend over the next month or so. But little did I realize, walking into this first church on the list, that God has a sense of humor, too. Why? Well, as services began, I started to have this, I'm being watched feeling and so you know i was like man isn't god happy that his long lost son is back in the house of the lord i mean come on well if god wasn't happy i soon discovered who was as i looked to my left and made eye contact with the man clapping on the one and the three and a smile as wide as texas mouthy brown you made it i sure did jennings We supernaturally ended up in the same church after all. I waved back, continuing to clap on that two and four, of course, and simply took this as a sign, a miracle, a wonder from God that Jennings and I were to walk closely in life. See, what happened here? See, my expectation was to follow Jesus in solidarity. And while our relationship to accept Jesus, our salvation in Jesus, rather, is one that is vertical, a one-to-one relationship, Uh, See, following Jesus, what this does, it it requires us to walk closely in community with other followers of Jesus horizontally. And there's the cross of good discipleship we must bear when following Jesus. And as Jennings has a lasting imprint on my life, this, this church, this community of Mosaic has forever left an imprint of what it means for me, my wife, my kids, for us to all follow Jesus. See, about four months, uh, after about four months of attending services here, we finally made the leap to join a community group, just like you should. It was in a community group that God began revealing various ill-fitting shoes that hindered Mallory and me from truly, truly, y'all, following Jesus. But it all came to to a head one night, though, in a final night of premarital counseling uh, with Pastor Brett and Melissa Milliken at their house. We had talked about careers, finances, communication, parenting, family, and sex was the final night. But little did we realize entering this top, entering into this topic of discussion that our understanding and expectation of good discipleship would be challenged and put to the test. You know, like Peter and the disciples. When Pastor Brett asked us both the following two questions. Why would you marry someone who is willing to put themselves and their desires before God? And it got no easier with the delivery of this this second question either, which was, why would you mortgage your salvation and eternity with Jesus for someone who is willing to put themselves and their desires before God? And like the piercing silence right now in this room and on the broadcast, 
we sat in silence. What would you do in a moment like this? Perhaps find a different community group? (laughs) Or maybe find a different pastor or church? Or just maybe leave Jesus in his gospel altogether? See, 93 days before our wedding and with everything on the line, we wrestled in the tension of the moment of why anyone would proclaim that proclaims to be a follower of Jesus. See, why anyone would just be this follower yet live any old way, have sex outside of God's design for it in marriage. Why would anyone do that? That night at the Millicans, we died to ourselves. I moved out and in with one of our community group members until we got married. This decision wasn't without its struggles and moments, but such a sacrifice was worth it then, it's worth it now, and it's worth it for the reward to come in eternity. Now, graciously hear me, please hear my heart. I'm not here, nor is Mosaic here, to shame or condemn any one of you that may be entangled in the same sin or different sins. That's not why we're here. See, I don't share this story as a badge or because I'm proud of it. I share this story because my wife and I know from experience that the shame of sin binds us in silence as we were blinded by a false sense of comfort. See, it was comfort of being our own God, little G. It was the comfort of sin. See, sin has a way of taking you further than you ever expected to go and keeping you longer than you ever expected to stay. Simply put, we could choose the comfort of the world's ill-fitting shoes and eternally succumb to spiritual neuropathy. Or we could humble ourselves, repent to a loving father and receive God's shoes that would fit us rightfully for the life in which he purposed us to live for his glory now and for the life to come in eternity. See, either we follow Jesus now or we don't follow Jesus at all. Either our lives are a rock in which Jesus can build on or our lives are nothing more than stumbling blocks. See, Pastor Brett, Melissa, and our community group did what any group of God-honoring Jesus followers would, should, and are called to do. They graciously and mercifully loved us, held us accountable to God's word, And never left our side. They were and still are living examples of good discipleship, godly discipleship. And because of it, we are too and you can be too. So let me ask you this. Would you continue to follow Jesus even when moments don't live up to your expectations? This question leads us to our final two verses of today. And and what you and I can expect when we completely lose all we have and are in Jesus, the son of man, when we follow him. Verse 27 reads, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming into his kingdom. As I close, Peter and disciples, Peter and the disciples had to come to grips with realigning their expectation that Jesus must suffer 
and face death to come into his kingdom. And you and I, we too, we are no different in our call to follow Jesus as we die to the cultures of subscribing, liking, sharing, tweeting, and God forbid, canceling. We're often only our crowns. The best filtered versions of our lives are deceptively displayed as the good life minus the cross. Oh, but is it really the good life? I mean, again, who defines and sets the expectation for what good is for you, for me, for us, and how we live? And so I leave you with this one last question. Is it Jesus that you'll follow, live, and die for? And right now, I'm going to extend an invitation to anyone and everyone in this room, whether you're online, to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and to receive the grace of God, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but right now in this moment. See, the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. See, it's not through our own works that we can boast. I didn't do anything. My wife didn't do anything that got us out other than to say, Lord, we choose to follow you. It was through that gift of grace from God. And so if you're under the sound of my voice and seek to follow Jesus, but you find yourself spiritually wearing ill-fitting shoes of sin, then know that God's grace has been made available right now. And so if you would like to receive the forgiveness of sin and salvation and enter in with, into relationship with Jesus today, whether in the room or online, simply raise your hand right now as we all bow our heads and close our eyes and pray together as a family. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and the savior of the world. Today, I make Jesus the Lord of my life. I believe he died for me. He rose again to give me life. I receive this new life. This is my new beginning. I am a child of the one true king. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.